0: President Joe Biden is set to deliver his first State of the Union address tonight amid a growing military crisis in Ukraine and record inflation and record migrant crossings illegally and a failure to shut down COVID-19, as he promised. So has this guy done anything right in the past year? Short answer, no. We'll take a look at Joe Biden's record and the State of the Union coming up in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold On, I'm Buck Sexton. The State of the Union is not strong because Joe Biden is the President of the United States. The Democrat Party has generally lost its mind. They pursue policies that have entirely predictable, disastrous results, whether it's an open border. Turns out that's a bad idea, unless you want more illegal immigration, but with that comes a lot of lawlessness, loss of sovereignty, and overall, well, What? What do we get out of the continued illegal immigration flow into the United States without the Democrats being willing to say it? Of course, the long-term implications are Democrat voters. That's what this is really all about. Crime is rising in cities across the country, has been for over a year now, and the Democrats pursued soft-on-crime policies. Progressive prosecutors in cities like Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, Chicago, you name it. Soft-on-crime, more crime. Not a surprise. Spending money, turns out that's bad. It creates inflation when the government spends trillions of dollars that it does not have. And that's a bad thing. Inflation hurts, especially people that rely on wages and don't have substantial assets or savings. Although it does erode the savings of everybody, inflation's a bad thing. High gas prices, a bad thing. A lot of problems out there. And to top it all off, I'll shut down the virus. I won't shut down the economy. That was the major promise that Joe Biden made. Here he is promising just
1: that. Play it. What I would say is, I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'll shut down the virus, not the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. Once we shut down the virus, I'm going to shut down the virus. i are going to shut down the virus. I'm not going to shut down the country, but I'm going to shut down the virus.
0: Going to shut down the virus. We just went through a huge. Omicron surge, as you know, despite the mandatory vaccines in so many places across the country, federal government had a vaccine mandate. A lot of cities had vaccine passport requirements, Democrat cities, of course. How did that all work out though? When well, we look at the actual numbers, I mean let, let's get down to the data. Total deaths from COVID-19, 2020, President Trump's final year, but first year of the pandemic, 385,465. 2021, with a mass vaccination campaign with over 200 million Americans getting vaccinated, somehow 459,364 deaths from COVID. Now you will recall that Joe Biden said at one point when he was running against Trump that anybody who's president with over 200,000 American deaths does not deserve to continue to be president. So what about a president who presides over, with a vaccine handed to him as Biden had, almost 460,000 deaths in his first year in office? Just wondering, what. What does that mean for Joe Biden's future as president? Should he still be president? I think we all know the answer to that. Okay, so that's on COVID, massive failure. I think it's quite obvious. They're going to tell you they've beaten COVID and they're actually going to take the masks off for the first time. They're actually going to tell us, oh, look at this, Pelosi and Biden aren't wearing masks, even though there are some places in the country like airplanes where you still have to wear masks. Well, what sense does that make? None, but... This was all about the optics. This was about virtue signaling and political power. Here's a chart that shows the growth in the U.S. inflation rate, since we're gonna talk about the economy too. Since March of 2021, January 2022, the rate is 7.5%, the highest since February of 1982. Inflation is very high. We all know this, why? Because the Democrats came in and they spent a whole lot of money. They spent 1.9 trillion at the start of this year in addition to the bipartisan spend of trillions of dollars in emergency funds in the first year of COVID, then they just decided, well, let's spend another 1.9 trillion. Let's extend it all. Well, it turns out that there isn't some magic money tree, although Democrats seem to think the Federal Reserve and some Republicans do too, is exactly that. It's not the case. You have too much government spending of money. You get inflation. That is just the reality that we all see here. And it was entirely, once again, predictable it's not just inflation though what about the cost of pretty much everything january the rise in prices year over year check this out used cars 40 percent gasoline 40 percent meat fish eggs 12 percent; electricity up a little bit food at home 7.4 food away six housing four but i mean you look at gasoline and used cars you've got supply chain issues you've got raising uh, rising inflation and costs all over the place gasoline per gallon this is something why is gas as, as a, an indicator of how things are going economically so interesting? Because on the one hand, y- you can see what the gas price is, no matter what the Democrats tell you. In February of 2022, $3.59. February of 2021, $2.72. That's a big difference, folks. What's going on here? Why do we have such a surge in gas prices? Well, there are a lot of reasons. Complicated global market, sure. But Democrats like to limit and make it hard for gas, uh, for fossil fuel exploration and refining companies to do what they do. They are ideologically opposed to the very fuel we need for a modern economy. And instead of being serious about, say, nuclear energy and other ways, they talk about windmills. You want to deal with climate change? Really? I mean, not that I think we have to deal with climate change, but you want to deal with it? Nuclear is the only serious energy proposal that anybody can come up with. What, hydro and wind? Give me a break. And while we're talking about disasters, the Southern border is a open border disaster. There's lawlessness all over the place. Total Southwest border encounters, 2021, 1.7 million. In 2020, it was 458,000. These are numbers, folks. I mean, this is the data. And the data tells you, the data tells you that this administration is failing on the border, on the economy, on COVID, on everything. DHS Secretary Mayorkas last month said the border crisis is worse now than it has been in at least 20 years. This is last month. Watch. We should have enough personnel to take care of the southern border, and I mean that's the, that's the solution. And that hasn't been the case. Look, it's worse now <clears throat> than it frankly has been in at least 20 years, if not ever. But that is not that is absolutely not the solution,
1: and that's a hardship that you're enduring.
0: The border is the worst. You're hearing it from, that's Biden's DHS secretary. It's a fact. The border is the most lawless it has been in 20 years. What, what else do you have? I mean, it's, this, this is a mess. These Democrats, they can't get anything done when it comes to making things better for the country. And then there's foreign policy, which in particular right now is a, is a sore spot, I think, for the administration. Back in 2019, Biden was saying that Putin's days of tyranny, because, you know, Russia, Russia, stealing the election, all that Trump stuff they talked about. Yeah, this is 2019. Watch.
1: Because Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully, just like the president. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what... When I'm president, things are going to change.
0: They did change, and Putin launched a massive incursion and a war in Europe while Biden was president, not for four years of Trump's presidency. These are facts, folks. This is reality. How are they going to sell this to you tonight at the State of the Union address? I mean, how are they going to try to convince people that what you're experiencing isn't really what you're experiencing? Well, essentially by saying just that. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, who in so many ways is the archetype of the Disconnected, elitist, multimillionaire, pseudo-intellectual, fake social justice warrior. Nancy Pelosi's out there saying the reason people don't like what Biden's doing is because they don't know how he's doing such great stuff. Watch. Now the polls show Americans
2: deeply pessimistic about the economy. Inflation's only going to rise with what's happening on the energy front with this war. Um what do you attribute to that? What the the, the decline in the president's polls, even on COVID? on how he's handled it. Um, What can he do to turn this around? Well, I think tonight's going to be very important because for people to appreciate what the president has done and that working together with the Congress, they have to know what it is. President Lincoln said, public sentiment is everything with it. You can accomplish almost everything without it, practically
3: nothing. But people have to know.
0: If they just know how great Biden is, that'll fix it. Sure. All right, we have more on President Biden's State of the Union address when we come back with our friend Ned Ryan. I want to talk to you about protecting your online data for a second. A lot of companies promise you that your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and is offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communication is based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never asks for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence that you're not being spied on by your internet provider or big tech. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only five dollars for the messenger, only ten dollars for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's s-e-k-u-r.com. And use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with American
3: Majority CEO, Nen Ryan. Stay with us. President Biden is getting ready to
0: deliver his State of the Union address with the lowest job approval rating of his presidency. According to a new ABC News Washington Post poll, just 37% of Americans approve of Biden's job performance overall, with 55% disapproving. That includes just 30% approval among political independents. No surprise, of course, we've already noted Biden has failed in just about every area of policy, both foreign and domestic. So what do we expect the president's going to try to say tonight? I mean, how do, you, how do you sell this stinking fish, so to speak, to a customer in the fish market? Well, turn to the CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan, to try to make sense of the madness for us. Ned, good to see you. Good to see you, Buck. Biden doesn't have an easy task tonight because... Looks pretty bleak out there right now for the regime. How do you think this goes?
3: Well, my take is it's going to be one lie after another lie after another lie, all communicated by a liar. uh, As members of his party and the corporate propaganda sit there and bark and clap like circus seals and say what a great State of the Union speech it'll be, when in fact that's in complete denial of reality box. Uh, on every front, and and it's pretty staggering how quickly this has happened. Again, having been in office just over a year, how quickly things have have turned for the worse. Whether it's on energy, inflation, uh, the economy as a whole, immigration, all of these things, and he's now had two major international debacles. I mean, it's a pretty long list of failure uh, in just twelve months, roughly. So I don't. He, he's going to try and sell something, and I think most of the American people, as you just referred to in that poll are seeing through it. I've seen polls that show him at about 23% approval rating with independence and 35% overall. Uh, I think a lot of the American people are seeing through this and they have no answers. Joe Biden has no answers for any of this. And I only see the trajectory getting worse on inflation, on energy costs uh, in time for the midterms in which I think the, the American people are going to soundly reject Joe Biden and his party.
0: I got to say the theatricality, very convenient theatricality of removing masks just in time, just in time <laughs> for this, right? Congress, masks optional. Biden, no masks tonight. Pelosi, I don't know if you saw this, Pelosi's not going to wear a mask tonight, but says she would if she had young children, as if, like, she's 80, basically. She's at high risk. The kids <laughs> are at no risk. It makes no sense. But I kind of like this stuff just because it shows... The smart people were the people who knew this was crap all along right. and recognized the mass theater for what it is, which you're all going to see tonight when they have unmasked faces. Suddenly it's safe.
3: Uh, it's political science at work, Buck, in which the politics have dictated the science because they look at the poll numbers and realize these are pretty brutal numbers on the handling of COVID, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, uh, and all of a sudden, especially after some of the, the results in Virginia, realizing, boy, this could make it even more brutal. Uh, in the in the midterms this year. So astonishingly, the science has changed almost overnight uh, as, as mask mandates are being dropped everywhere, which is a positive thing. At the same time, uh, it's a shame that it's taken two years to get to this point when in fact we knew a long time ago based off studies and real data and real science uh, that these masks really offered no protection against this virus.
0: Speaking of how this is all going for Biden and the Republicans, uh, I'm sorry, Biden and the Democrats, when you look at how they are going into this midterm election, as of right now, I know it's super early, and all the usual, you know, uh, platitudes and cliches about, you know, it's a million, a million years in politics is six, right. you know six months in real, real time, uh, or whatever however many months out we are. Yeah, it's about six, right? Something like that. Uh, here's the early midterm vote preference according to ABC News, Washington Post poll: Republican candidate, forty-nine percent; Democrat candidate, forty-two percent. I think this is the biggest, uh, when they look at this side-by-side comparison of just generic Republican versus generic Democrat, biggest uh, favorability gap since 2010, which was kind of an interesting year in the midterms.
3: <laughs> well, actually, Buck, if you were to go apples to apples, at this point in 2010, we, Republicans were only up three points uh, in the generic poll. So if you were to say same time frame in a midterm, we're actually running four points ahead of where we were in 2010 when Republicans picked up 63 seats in the House. Uh, seven in the Senate, and 680 seats at the state legislative level. But if you even drill down a little bit more on that, Buck, it's not seven points. It's 13 points among registered voters likely to vote in the midterms. Uh, and when you look at it that way, it's, it's a pretty staggering number, uh, comparing it to the 2010 versus today, that the Democrats are in a lot of trouble. And they know it, too. And the other thing, Buck, as you look at these numbers, you look at the battleground, the Senate battleground states, and Joe Biden's approval rating is 32 in Georgia, 34 in Arizona. These are key pickup opportunities for Republicans. So that's why you're seeing over 30 uh, House Democrats having already retired. Uh, And I think you're probably gonna see some more before we actually get into the summer and get into the fall.
0: How do you think, I mean, you understand the political strategy of our side and the other side, Ned. How does Biden try to frame this so that the Democrats have a message going forward to try to, I mean, what, what is, you know, it's not going to fly with me and you and our, and our folks, right. our audiences, but what are they going to say? I mean, how, how, do they, how do they close this gap and make people think that voting Democrat, talking about persuadables here, right? Forget You know, if someone's right. triple masked alone outside on their ninth shot, and they think that Biden's done a brilliant job with the economy, I, mean, you know, it is it, right. something you can't do. You can't do something for those folks, but Uh, What about those who are persuadable? How do Democrats, where do you think they try to convince them that they shouldn't believe their lying eyes?
3: I I don't really know how you do that, Buck. When you're at 23 to 27 percent with independents, I mean, you are you are so far away from even getting to 50 percent. I'm not sure how you get to that point, even if you lie every day from from now until the elections and have the corporate propagandists carrying water for you every day, spending and spending and spending. I think the American people, a lot of these independents and persuadables ha- have seen the last couple of years, especially the last year, and gone, we're, we're, we're not picking up what you're putting down. We're not going to buy what you're selling. And I think at that point, it doesn't matter all the money in the world, all the corporate propaganda. I, I don't see how they steer clear. It's, it feels like the Titanic headed towards uh, towards an iceberg and there's nothing they can do. It seems like the trajectory is really starting to get really hardened and settled in. And I'm not sure how they pivot out of it.
0: By the way, the ABC News Washington Post poll also looked at the economy since Biden took office. 54% say it's worse, 27% say it's the same. And speaking of the triple mast, eighth eighth, uh, booster shot folks, they're also, I assume the 17% who think the economy is better. But anyway, gives us some rough approximation. I always say that about 20% of the country are insane Marxist leftists for whom reality is, is no impediment to their dreams. So put them aside for a second. 54% 54% say the economy's worse. I mean, if it is the economy stupid, Democrats are in for a rough
3: fall. Well, it's inflation as well. The new Harris poll today, I think had him at 28% approval on inflation. The American people don't think that he has any answers. And he, in fact, he doesn't. I mean, the, the Biden administration can be summed up as bad monetary policy colliding with bad energy policy exploding into inflation. And it's all intentional. These have been intentional decisions along the way. This isn't this isn't a bug. But this is a feature. All of these policies that have resulted in the inflation and terrible economy. And I don't think that they have figured out a way to get out of it because they're fully committed to it based on deep belief and man-made global warming and a variety of other, other issues. I, I don't see how they turn this around because they are committed to this. And they're hoping that somehow the dirty little peasants uh, will actually buy into what their betters are telling them. And I just simply don't see that happening. In fact, I think we're looking at 2010 and maybe even 2010 on steroids, by the time we get to the fall, if, if things continue on this trajectory. And I see no reason why the trajectory will change.
0: Ned, real quick, uh, we're, we're pretty much out of time. But I just wanna know, what is your target for Republican pickups in, in the House this fall? Just give us a sense of that. What's the target? Uh,
3: I, I, I would say no less than 40, but we might exceed 2010. I would say in the Senate, it's probably three to four, maybe up to six.
0: Love it. Ned, we'll be talking to you, buddy. Thanks for being with us.
3: Thanks,
0: Buck. Schelling continues in major cities around Ukraine as Vladimir Putin continues his offensive in the embattled country. We come back,
3: we'll discuss the latest with Heritage Foundation Senior Research Fellow and Army veteran Dakota Wood. The war in Ukraine now in its sixth day. Russia
0: frustrated with the lack of progress early on, but has ramped up its attacks on civilians and critical infrastructure. Take a look at this. Russian missiles targeting a government office building just steps away from the center of the second largest Ukrainian city, Kharkiv, which was allegedly an assassination attempt. Late last night, Ukrainian President Zelensky accusing Russia of war crimes in its bombardment of Kharkiv, stating, quote, Kharkiv is a peaceful city. There are peaceful residential areas, no military facilities. Dozens of eyewitness accounts prove that this is not a single false volley, but deliberate destruction of people the Russians knew where they were shooting. They will definitely be, there will definitely be an international tribunal for this crime. It's a violation of all conventions. No one in the world will forgive you for killing peaceful Ukrainian people. All right, for latest on this, let's bring in Senior Research Fellow at the uh, Defense Programs the Heritage Foundation, Dakota Wood. Dakota, thanks for being with us.
1: Uh, great, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on. I wish we were talking about better things. You know?
0: Yeah, I know. I think, unfortunately, it's likely to get worse than days ahead. Yes. in just five days 56 missile strikes 113 cruise missiles launched uh, at ukraine by russian forces it seems these attacks are becoming uh, more indiscriminate becoming uh, or, or resulting in higher casualties i mean wh- what are you seeing here is this all part of the escalation that we should have been expecting now for a while what do you see happening
1: I think it's a response to a, par- a poorly executed initial assault uh, into Ukraine. I think that the Ukrainian, I'm sorry, the Russian uh, leadership was expecting just to walk in that they wouldn't account for much in the way of resistance. And, and none of those plans worked out. The Ukrainian people have really risen to the occasion. The Ukrainian army has been much more effective than uh, Putin or his generals had anticipated. So I think they're having to take a step back and they will redouble their efforts. I think what we're apt to see is a repeat of Chechnya and the uh, just the pounding, the destruction of Grozny. If you recall, Vladimir Putin was in charge. I mean, he oversaw that massive assault into Grozny as, as the premier at that time. And, and so I think that the people of Kyiv and Kharkiv and uh, other cities around Ukraine are, are gonna have some very dark days ahead uh thus how important it is for the west to continue flowing anti-platform munitions like anti-air anti-armor uh replacement uh, you know rounds for those things and additional ammunition supplies
0: there's satellite imagery that's making the rounds online showing a russian military convoy stretching for 40 miles in length heading towards kiev and people are now concerned that this could be Essentially, the force that will be used for a full-on siege of the Ukrainian capital. What's your
1: assessment? Uh, it's impressive and not, and, and it's not a contradiction. I mean, I was part of the uh, the ground force that moved from Kuwait into Iraq in uh, 2003, and we would have convoys of 120, 150 uh, trucks long, you know, four and five abreast. So, you know, this is the nature of big war. And the world has kind of forgotten what big war looks like. So along that single stretch of uh, road stretching 40 miles, a lot of fuel, ammo, uh, engineer materials, medical supplies, food, all those things. But it's also an extended line of supply. So if we have any kind of guerrilla activity, uh, locals that decide to uh, intervene in some way with uh, anti-vehicle munitions, it can also be viewed as a target. So, yes. Uh, an extraordinary effort being made by Russia to encircle and strangle um, uh, the uh, the major city there in Kyiv, the capital, and to re-provision its forces for this pounding, which is what they're really gonna have to do from a Russian standpoint. But it also presents, if you're in war, a target of opportunity to continue to attract uh, these uh, logistical components of the Russian effort.
0: What are some of the, in your mind, Dakota, the, the key variables in whether or not the Ukrainian defense forces, to include just civilian militia, which seems to be an increasingly large component of this, they're handing out rifles to thousands of military age males. There's a prohibition on men 18 to 60 leaving the country. So assuming that there is the broad scale taking up of arms that were, that's being reported, there'll be a lot of manpower. What are some yeah. of the areas that are gonna be determining whether or not that manpower is effective in continuing to hold at some level the Russian offensive at bay.
1: Stick-to-itiveness. I mean, just the relentless will of the Ukrainian people to stay in the fight instead of giving up. If they give up, then all is lost. You know, Ukraine will become a vassal state, if not, uh, you know, a, a territory brought into mother Russia and they'll never see another free day. I mean, this is the direction that all this is going. So for Russia, this is a war of choice. Purely by decision of Vladimir Putin. For the Ukrainian people, it's a war of necessity of survival. And so I think those differing motivations, you know, a lot of the Russian troops, uh, based on accounts that we're seeing and reading, they don't even know why they're there. You know, why are they? Uh, assaulting cousins or you know relatives, uh, certainly culturally and historically, uh, in this setting. Whereas for the Ukrainians, uh, you know it's a it's a war of subjugation, and so if they don't win this thing, uh, their lives will never be the same. So I think that staying in the fight, so long as they can get provisions, you know ammunition, uh, food, those sorts of things, that they can adopt different approaches. Some working internally but the rest of the country working from outside of that perimeter around Kyiv. And so I think some very innovative tactics will probably come up. Uh, you know, war is the, um, the mother of necessity and invention, you know, th- these sorts of uh, phrases, but they're rooted in reality. So I think as long as um, their president stays in the fight, the people stay in the fight, uh, it could be a really long costly haul for Russia. Now where that leads, again, it's all in the mind of Putin, uh, but but it could be very ugly on both ends.
0: Now, from a military tactics perspective, I'm seeing reports from credible sources that the biggest challenge right now the Ukrainian defenders are facing comes from the air, that the, the air dominance of the Russian, both the missile strikes, but also helicopter and, and fixed-wing aircraft being used to attack them is, is the one variable that seems to be just dramatically in favor of the Russians right now how can the Ukrainian defenders try to deal with that? Well, what does it look like when you're when you're outgunned in the sky? What do you do from down below so that you're not getting crushed from
1: the air? Well, uh, Putin does not have a limitless supply of precision guided munitions (PGMs). Right, where uh, an aircraft at twenty thousand feet gets targeting data, drops a smart bomb that goes through an apartment window or something like that. I mean, that is not uh, inexhaustible, right? So they're they're expensive. They have them in limited numbers, and I think they're going through them at a pretty rapid rate. So, if they want to get accuracy uh, with other types of munitions, they'll have to drop down in altitude. That means that if ground forces have uh, shoulder fired, you know, uh, uh, man portable air defense systems like the Stinger, they can really keep it based on this air power, attack helicopters, transports, uh, aircraft that have to come low for any kind of strafing or rocket runs. So, they could keep that air umbrella. Uh, higher, so that it's not as accurate. And again, they don't have limitless ammunition, so this is going to be a war of wills in, uh, in this sense. And uh, and I think that people on the inside of that perimeter, uh, you know, the great folks of London during World War II and during lots of Blitzkrieg, you know, air assaults from the the German Air Force, you know, in that in that era, show that you can really take a pounding, continue to survive, and and continue to battle back. And and I'm expecting that's what we we're going to see from the Ukrainians.
0: Dakota, appreciate the expertise, my friend. We're going to need you more in the weeks ahead, I think, so stick around, all right? Thanks so much. Anytime. Thank you. As the world watches the violence in Ukraine, some people are delivering an important reminder. We've still got a lot of issues here at home, too. When we come back, senior columnist at townhall.com, Kurt Schlichter, is going to give his perspective on the conflict and what we need to think about back here in the U.S. I want to discuss protecting the most valuable asset you uh, you own for a moment, your home. How devastated would you be if a criminal stole all the equity in your home? This crime is happening all over the U.S. and there's one company standing between you and these thieves, Home Title Lock. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, which is why you need to go to HomeTitleLock.com, America's leader in home title protection. Here's the problem. The deed to your home is the only document that proves you own it, and the deeds to all our homes are online now. In minutes, a criminal can forge your name off the deed to your home and refile as the new owner. The crime can cause you to spend a fortune in legal fees when thieves take out loans in your name. It can even lead to eviction. Common identity theft services do not protect you from this crime. HometitleLock.com is your peace of mind that the deed to your home is protected. Visit HometitleLock.com. Again, that's HometitleLock.com. Kurt
3: Schlichter of Town Hall joins us when we come back.
1: We're fighting just for our land and for our freedom, despite the fact that all large cities of our country are now blocked. Nobody is going to enter and intervene with our freedom and country, and believe you me, every square of today, no matter what it's called, is going to be called, as today, Freedom Square in every city of our country
0: an EU interpreter breaking down while translating Ukrainian President Zelensky's speech that mentioned children who were being killed by Russian strikes in Kharkiv. As the world watches the invasion, there are lots of questions surrounding how far America and NATO should go to support the Ukrainian people. While it seems some would like to draw America deeper into a conflict with Russia, many people, including my next guest, are saying, Not so fast. We've got a lot of problems here at home. This is not our fight. Joining me now to discuss, senior columnist at Town Hall, Kurt Schlichter. Kurt, good to see you.
4: Good to see you, Buck, on a kind of serious day.
0: Yeah, so this is the White House press secretary. I wanted to have you react to this, because r- right now, Kurt, it, it feels like there is a, something of a bipartisan consensus, um, as much as there can be one. There's always different opinions, but politically speaking, it feels like non-intervention feels pretty bipartisan. Here's Jen Psaki saying that they do not support a no-fly zone. Listen. Is there any way in which the U.S. would support a no-fly zone over Ukraine?
2: Well, here's what's important for everybody to know about a no-fly zone. What that would require is implementation by the U.S. military. It would essentially mean the U.S. military would be shooting down planes, Russian planes. That is definitely escalatory. That would potentially put us into a place where we're in a a military conflict with Russia. That is not something the president wants to do. So that's a no on that. that. Those are all the reasons why that's not a good idea.
0: She she gets the basics right there. To be fair, and she says it's uh, she, not a good idea. Do, do you trust? Do you trust the Biden regime mm-hmm. is going to stay with this? It's not a good idea.
4: I I I am hopeful that they will, probably for all the wrong reasons. But Buck, uh, you know I I I've trained the Ukrainians. They were a part of the unit I deployed with to Kosovo. I like the Ukrainians. I support the Ukrainians. Uh, the Russians are in the wrong here, and I hope the Ukrainians win this fight. But the 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 fact is, it is their fight. It is not America's fight, and it is not NATO's fight. Uh, I I support lethal aid. I support sanctions. I do not support Americans in combat. In Ukraine, uh, as part of uh, an American force. The simple fact is, you know, the Ukrainians are going to have to defend themselves. We can provide some help, but we're not going to provide the blood. And, uh, you know, Russia look, Russia is a nuclear powered, uh, unstable dictatorship. And uh, frankly, uh, risking that to save Ukraine. I'm sorry i'm i believe I, i'm sorry for ukraine because americans interests. america's interests uh have to come first uh that well, what, said, Kirk, can uh, i ask
0: you what do you what do you think I and mean, you actually sure. served in the military and spent some time in the region as you pointed out yeah. what do you think putin's response would realistically be if let's say in a week a few weeks passes And all of a sudden the U.S. says, well, you know, we are going to set up a limited no-fly zone corridor to allow for the refugee flow out of Ukraine, and we'll shoot down any Russian planes that come within our airspace. How how do you think Putin would respond to that?
4: Uh, I don't know, and that's the problem. I I don't know. I mean, he could engage American uh, aircraft. He could shoot some down. He could asymmetrically attack either cyber or maybe missiles at the airfields in Eastern Europe where our planes would uh, operate out of. And, of course, we'd have to build up our aircraft there uh, significantly before we had the capacity to do it. Uh, He might launch a ground attack into the Balkans. He might use a tactical nuclear weapon. He might use a strategic nuclear weapon. I don't know, and I am unwilling to put the lives of literally tens of millions of American civilians at risk uh, of uh, the whim of a guy whose stability is in question, uh, whose health is in question and who is a a, you know, a a certifiably bad person. And I know there are people out there who would say, well, that's harsh or that's selfish. Uh, my, my objective is protecting Americans and I have to do this. what's right for Americans.
0: I, I, I'm starting to already see this. In the early days of it, it was, it, it felt like a, a, a general, as I said, a consensus about non-intervention, but already you're seeing popping up here and there, a member of Congress even saying there should be a no-fly zone, uh, a, a Democrat politician in Florida, I forget what office she's running for, saying we should just start launching missiles at Russia to stop them from this. I mean, you are seeing this starting and there's also going to be a higher emotional impulse that a lot of people are feeling because the casualties are going to go up. I mean, it's terrible. It's a yes. tragedy. War is hell. It's awful. But given the Russian advance here, it looks like we're gonna have more casualties. Here, for example, is a Ukrainian reporter confronting Boris Johnson in Poland. Watch this, Kurt. We're not gonna get a question from, uh, from, from
2: Ukraine. You're talking about the stoicism of Ukrainian people, but Ukrainian women and Ukrainian children are in deep fear because of bombs and missiles which are going from the sky. And Ukrainian people are desperately asking for the West to protect our sky. NATO is not willing to defend because NATO is afraid of World War III, but it is already started, And these are Ukrainian children who are there taking the hit. You are talking about most sanctions, Prime Minister, but Roman Abramovich is not sanctioned. He's in London. His children are not in the bombardments. His children are there in London. Put's children are in Netherlands, in Germany, in mansions, where all these mansions seized. I don't see that. I see that by family members. That my team members are saying that we are crying. We don't know what to run. This is what is happening, Prime
0: Minister. Current the emotional appeal, look, it's real. And it's horrible what's going on in Ukraine. No, but no it, feels it, like the, it is. You know, it feels and, like the emotional and, appeal and, is and, going to turn very quickly into, forget what we said about non-intervention unless we watch ourselves very closely.
4: Well, the, the, the proper answer to her is no. We, 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 we aren't going to. Uh, uh, my, look, I'm an American. American children come first and, and, and maybe you think that's hard, maybe you think that's selfish. I'm indifferent to that because my oath is the United States of America. Um, the fact is we haven't even uh, used the most effective sanction, which is unleash America's energy industry because you know the, the Democrats don't want to commit heresy to the angry climate goddess. So Russia. So we're we're effectively buying and, and, and buying Russian oil and subsidizing uh, uh, the Russian military. But we won't do that. But you know, uh, uh, you know, there's this Democrat and you know Adam Kinzinger, who's a halfwit anyway, uh, happily talking about going to war. Uh, look. There, America. I believe what I learned in the war college. American vital interests are those interests we go to war over. Ukraine is not. Ukraine is an American interest, to be sure. It's not a vital interest that requires us to go to war, and that's just the harsh reality of the situation. Doesn't minimize uh, my respect for the Ukrainians who I worked with, who I hope win. I hope they drown the Russians in a river of Russian blood. Uh, and I think most Americans, if we were in Ukraine, and Ukrainians would uh, 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 jump out to defend our country as they are doing. I'm proud of them. I want to give them weapons, but I won't give them American lives, and I won't Kurt, put America at risk.
0: Appreciate, appreciate the perspective. Good to see you as always. And by the way, Kurt's book is out for pre-order uh, right now. Kurt, what's the name of the book?
4: The book is We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. You can order it on Amazon right now. It's coming out in July, but, you know, order it now.
0: Kurt, thanks so much. Good to see you. Thanks, Buck. One Biden advisor blames the president's low approval rating on the fact that COVID and Russia put Americans in a bad mood.
3: Yeah, we'll discuss that coming up and other things and Quick Hits. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki bizarrely says increasing U.S. energy production would not address rising
0: gas prices. And if you're confused about what's going on in Ukraine, our Vice President is here to uh, kind of explain it to you. Let's get into that in quick hits. First, uh, here is the situation right now. Uh, Democrats, they don't really have any cards to play. They have had a really bad year. Didn't work out the way that they said it would. Joe Biden looks buffoonish, inept, incompetent. It just looks like a mess. And what are they going to do about this? How do they change this around? How do they try to explain this to the American people? Well, here is Biden's advisor, Mitch Landrew on the very low approval numbers. I mean, you look at what's going on Biden. It's not just that the numbers are low, that they keep getting lower. It's almost, almost like the more the American people see what a Biden administration is like, the less they like a Biden administration. Mitch Landrew is doing it the best he can to try to explain this one. Watch when COVID is, is is beating you to death, uh, literally, and and you have an international, you know, incident like we're having, um, and it runs costs up, it can make everybody,
3: you know, pretty angry and put you in a bad mood. Notwithstanding that that this president has done a spectacular job in the last year shepherding this country,
0: Americans are in a bad mood. Maybe, maybe. Ah, look, I hear Mitch Landers. Landers a nice guy. I mean, you know, look, what, what else are you going to say? But maybe they're in a bad mood because America's not doing so well because Joe Biden's a bad president. Isn't that a possibility or something we could at least think about for a moment? Um, Psaki, now look, it, we, we could talk about how long it would take for any individual energy project to produce more fossil fuel energy, of course, to produce more oil or natural gas so that that would affect the market. It also would mean that we would have a more stable supply here at home. There's a lot of ways you could look at this. But Jen Saki wants you to know, well, you know, come on, Keystone XL, it would take a long time. So, you know, that's not going to change anything. Watch.
2: Will there be anything in the speech to talk about reversing some of those policies, for example, either Keystone Pipeline or allowing our oil and gas companies to pursue federal oil and gas leases, even while we try to transition in the future and with a smart path to greener energy? Well, I would say, Dana, the president shares the concern about any impact on gas prices, on energy prices for the American people. And that's why a range of options remain on the table. He already recently tapped into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, just last fall, which had an impact. But I would say the Keystone pipeline. But the, pipeline, smart, it, but, that, but the but, impact, Jen, that was, pretty, that was a,
4: a blip. blip. Uh, you know, it was the, a 10 cent po- thing,
2: but it doesn't last. But, Dana, the policies you mentioned, I, I know Senator, uh, Senator Cotton and others have mentioned these. They, they are not policies that would address the issue at all. Uh, this Keystone Pipeline, it would take years for that to have an impact on prices.
0: So it would address it. It just might take some time. But isn't it necessary to address it in some way? Oh, just tell people to, you know, take a, take a bicycle to work. That, that's going to fix it. They just have a lot of bad ideas, folks. The problem with Democrats, they have bad ideas and they refuse to admit they're bad because they think they're really, really smart. It's an arrogance thing. It doesn't matter what the results are. The results come in, they just try to ignore them. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. He is the vice president. Here she is explaining on a radio show. Now, to be fair, she's asked to explain it in layman's terms, but, you know, layman's terms, <laughs> just watch it, I don't to say. It.
4: If you're watching any level of news, even social media, you're seeing everything that's going on right now in the Ukraine. Break it down in layman's terms for people who don't understand what's going on and how can this directly affect the people of the United States.
2: So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a
3: smaller country called Ukraine.
2: So basically that's wrong. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, I mean, she's, she says it's true, but thought oh, maybe we could do a little little higher level analysis from the vice president than basically spelling out the word Ukraine for all intents and purposes. And yeah, it is a country in Europe. That is that is true. Uh, On to a more serious uh, serious discussion of Ukraine. Here's Indiana Congresswoman Victoria Spartz talking about the crisis in Ukraine, and uh, watch.
2: We have an obligation and duty to save this world, help Ukrainian people to survive. And this president need to get this act together and exercise some leadership. What's happening under his watch is atrocity. What he's doing to this country and to the world is unforgivable. But I think we'll get together as Republicans and Democrats. But he must act decisively fast, or this blood of many millions of Ukrainians will be on his hands,
0: too. That's everything I told the line. The no-spin news with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields hot.